and God, to be encouraged and challenged through your word. And so we ask this morning, Lord God, that you would open the eyes and ears of our understanding that we might hear the voice of God from the word of God as we assemble together in this place. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have you ever noticed that some things are just plain hard to do? I mean, they're just hard to do. Like, in my case, it's like when I'm on a diet and I have some weight goals, whether it's inspired by my wife or my doctor, I have yet to meet a warm peanut butter cookie that I did not want to have fellowship with. I have yet to pass it up. It doesn't matter if I'm at Subway's or I'm at some exotic cookie maker. A warm peanut butter cookie is just hard for me to pass up. Our text this morning is part of what I call the hard things. Things that are hard to do. Instructions that are commonly known but frequently ignored. Things like considering others more highly than yourself. I know in a room of this size, I'm not the only person that goes to H-E-B after service and is coming down the road when they spot a parking spot and somebody's coming the other direction and you look at them out the side of your eyes and say, don't even think about it. That's my spot. You're on the wrong side. I'm not, I'm not giving you that spot. I, I know I'm not the only one that struggles with that. I mean, I could go through a whole list of things that remind me that I am not always quick to consider others more highly than myself. Probably nothing more than Thanksgiving reminds me of that in my family. In my family, the men do absolutely nothing for Thanksgiving. We might carry the water in. That might be the extent of what we do to contribute to the Thanksgiving feast that we're about to have. The women shop for the food, the women prepare the food, and in my family, my mother-in-law always, always fixes my father-in-law's food. I'm waiting on my wife to catch that. <laughs> and my wife said, keep waiting. <laughs> but it's a tradition in many families where after we pray, that's about all I do. When my mother-in-law is ready for us to eat, I pray and they start serving up food. I've done absolutely nothing. And then to, to top it off, in many of our homes, we not only get the food for something we had nothing to do with, we get to put football on all day. Foot, you're going to get in trouble, brother. All day, all day long, football is on TV in my family's house. But the Bible says consider others more highly than yourself. I promise you the women in the house don't want to watch football. They probably want to watch something like this is it. And the brothers is like, that ain't happening. It is football on Thanksgiving days. But remember, the scripture said what? Consider others more highly than yourself. How about this other instruction? It says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, I was recently driving, and this happens to me frequently, down 10, coming back eastbound, and I was not observing to where I was at. I saw the sign for 610, and I realized I needed to get over quickly if I was going to catch 610 to come south. The problem was I didn't catch the person in my blind spot, and as a result of that, I quickly shifted back over, and that person sped up. And they came up to the side of me, and they began to give me the universal sign language with their fingers. I'm not going to hold up that finger, but we all know the universal language, which means I did not appreciate you coming over. Now, the problem is because I was the one cutting them off, I wanted grace. You know, I was like, oh, I didn't mean that. I'm so sorry. And I was sorry. But what about when I'm the person being cut off? Now, God has delivered me. I don't use sign language anymore, but the fact is sometimes I'm not as gracious as I want to be seen on the other side when I'm the one in need of grace. Remember, we're talking about the hard things. This is one that I know is universal among the brothers. I have yet to meet a brother to say this is easy for me. And this, by the way, is red letter edition. This is Jesus speaking. He said, if someone slaps you on one cheek, give them the other. You know what some brother told me one time? He was like, yeah, I'm going to give him the other, and then I'm going UFC on him. I'm going Bruce Lee. Now, listen, we can find any way we want to to try to minimize the reality. This is an instruction in Scripture that is a hard thing. 
commonly known truth that is frequently neglected. The problem is when we function like this as Christ followers, we not only dishonor God, but we misrepresent him. Because people are looking at our life, and for some people, our life is the only Bible they're going to come in contact with. And how we respond in that moment will speak reality to how Jesus is really Lord. And for a few moments today, I want to talk to you from the thought, the battle of the wills. The battle of the will, the battle between God's will and my will. In Luke 10, the Bible says one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Which leads to the first thing I want you to recognize today. You need to recognize that knowing God's will is not enough. Knowing God's will is not enough. The word for test in this passage comes from the Greek word ekparizo. It means to try, to tempt. Or put to a test. It is, I'm going to prove something. It implies that this lawyer had questionable motives. He wasn't searching for an answer. He was searching to see if Jesus knew the answer. He wasn't looking for insight. He was making a point. His actions illustrate that it's possible to ask the right question for the wrong reason. He asked a good question, but it was for the wrong reason. And Jesus turned his test into a teachable moment. Only Jesus can take when somebody come at him with something bogus and turn it around and use it for something beneficial. And that's what he did in this man's life. The lawyer never expected that Jesus would use what he knew to actually teach him. He knew the answer to the question, but he didn't process what he knew. Jesus used this to begin to point out what I think God wants all of us to understand, that knowing God's will is not enough. We have to know and do God's will. So what, the Mos- what, did, what did Jesus ask the man? What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Jesus came back at the man with a question as a result of the question he asked. Now, I have a friend that has recently gone through some major transition in life, and they have come to the place that they believe that they are smarter than God. Now, I know most of y'all are saying, man, how on earth can you get to the place where you believe you are smarter than God? It is possible, and there are people throughout history that have said that, said comments. But I want to tell you that the reality is many people, not only in this place, but in places all over, ain't even smarter than a fifth grader. They put a program on TV to remind us many times we aren't nearly as smart as we think, but we can get to a place where we miss that we might know something, but we might not know as much as we think. Jesus is pointing out, and he's about to show this more, that knowing God's will not only is not enough, but if you know God's will and you don't apply it, it creates a vacuum in your life. The man made the response that I want to reiterate to you right now. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. His problem wasn't that he didn't know God's will. His problem was in doing it. Like people in some places, he felt like he can pick and choose which parts of God's will that he was going to apply. Now, I know there's nobody here today that ever does that. But in some places out there, that's what's going on. That's what's processing through my mind when I read Jesus saying, turn the other cheek. Years ago, the gospel gangsters made a song that I've always remembered. They said, oh, if you run up, we're going to get you off me. Now, you know, the song was like, brothers feel like, that's right, that is right. You run up, I'm going to get you off me. That is not what the text was teaching. But that is what my human nature absolutely wants to say because I am not going to allow this. And that's the problem. The problem is anytime I pick any part of Scripture where I am going to diminish what God intended, I 
am in a battle with the wheels. Now, before you rush to judgment on me or this man in this text, I want you to know that this is common and it is a problem seen throughout Scripture. Israel was God's chosen people. Israel was the nation God set apart to reveal his redemptive plan. They weren't any more special than any other part of humanity. But he would bring the redeemer through Israel. He would bring his word through Israel. He would show that he wanted to redeem. And he reveals that all the way back in Genesis 3, immediately after the fall. But he set apart this people that was supposed to be the conduit by which God would draw humanity back into right relationship with himself. But the Bible says that Israel was notorious for rejecting what God has said. The book of Judges is a book that I encourage you to read. That central theme in that book says this, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel repeatedly went back to doing what they was thought, what they thought was right, irregardless of what God had revealed to them. We're talking about the people that came out of Egypt, the people that crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, the people that was led by a pillar of fire or a cloud, them people, the folks who drank from a rock. There is no missing God being in your midst when God is leading you like that. And it's that people that heard what God said but still struggle with doing it. Even godly people don't always do what they know is right. Jonah is a case in point like the lawyer in his text. He knew God's will. God told him to do what? Go to Nineveh. The Bible says Jonah went to Tarshish. He got on a boat going in the opposite direction, getting as far away from where God told him to go as he could go. Because Jonah wasn't interested in doing the will of God when it came to operating in a certain way with this people. He was unwilling to love that neighbor. That was some folks Jonah wasn't giving no love to. I'm not giving the, the, the Assyrians any love. So I'm not going to Nineveh. We all know the rest of the story. God got Jonah's attention through one of those Disney movies, Under the Sea, Under the Sea. He took him, he took him by way of school and a different lesson. But he got Jonah to do what he told him to do in the first place. And even then, Jonah still had a problem because God is always interested in extending grace to people. The God of the Bible is about redeeming people. The problem is he's trying to do it through people. And many times, it's people that get in the way of God's redemptive work. It's a reason why when I talk about the battle of the wheels, we need to be wrestling with what's at stake. What's at stake is God's reputation. And if you don't think this is common, all you have to do is look at the history. In the history of America, one only has to consider the difference between knowing and doing. For the Native and African American, what the founding fathers said and what they did conflicted. Few words reflect this more than the Declaration of Independence. Quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Although this was the standard the founders declared, it wasn't the standard that they practiced. They said this, they penned this, they functioned differently. It is the reality of human nature to battle with the will. And this is what Jesus is addressing in Luke chapter 10, which leads to my second point. You need to recognize that knowing God's will does not mean we embrace it. That you can know what God wants and that you still don't necessarily embrace what is the will of God. The Bible says the man wanted to justify his actions. That implies that there was something going on in his own answer that was problematic for him. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? His question su suggests that he was more concerned with appearing to be right than being right. I, I, know, I know in some places out there, that's how people go do church. They dress up. They put on Sunday best. They clean up. They get their hair straight if they still have hair. And they go in church and they look a certain way. Because they're concerned with how they look. 
What they're not concerned with is what's taking place on the inside of them, that which is most important to God. What is going on on the inner man? Beloved, knowing God's will and embracing God's will are not synonymous. It is important for us who start learning Bible passages, sit in church, sit in Sunday school to know that it's not enough to know what thus said the Lord. That in and of itself is beneficial, is critical for personal transformation. But if I do not apply what thus says the Lord, it brings no value in my life whatsoever. It's not enough to know what we ought to do. The Bible in James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It is sin to know the right thing to do and fail to do it. Chuck Swindoll made this statement that was profound to me. He said, our greatest struggle is not in the realm of understanding the will of God. It's in the realm of obeying the God whose will it is. The struggle is not that we don't know. The struggle is doing what we know. Take the, take the issue of revenge. I, I mean, I know nobody in here looks to get revenge. But in some places out there, revenge is like something we're going to get. In fact, when I thought of this subject, I immediately thought about the gospel according to James Brown. I I asked my friends to help me up up top because some of y'all needed a reminder of the gospel according to James Brown. So if you would help me with this James Brown message for this audience. I think they got it queued up. Oh, there you go. Come on, James. All of y'all, y'all start. You can see yourself skating right now. Got, got to pay back. Revenge. A man to be paid back. Got to get back. Thank you. I'm gonna cut it right there because some of y'all distracted. (laughs) Some of y'all showed up can see yourself back on them roller skates. Listen, James Brown did that thing, but. But the problem is, and don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not picking on James. James didn't make that for church. I called it the gospel according to James Brown because the problem is so many of us validate and justify the attitude that he's articulating in the song. That is a perception that is directly opposite of what thus said the Lord. The Bible says in Romans 12, 19, never take revenge or your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's what thus said the Lord when it comes to revenge. In Romans 12, 17, he says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, God's will concerning this is crystal clear. So the issue isn't, can I validate and justify what I want to do? I have to come to grips with there is a tension between two natures if I'm in Christ Jesus. If I'm not in Christ Jesus, this does not apply to me. But if I'm in Christ Jesus, there is a tension because the presence of Almighty God dwells in me and I still have an old nature that wants to get back at folks. That's what James Brown was communicating. Some of y'all will remember this because it was your favorite scene in the movie, in the movie The Help. Miss Minnie loses a job. See, y'all already remember. Miss Hilly, Miss Hilly decides she's going to fire Minnie over some petty stuff. And then she not only fire her, she bad mouth for around that little Mississippi town so Miss Minnie can't even get another housekeeping job. Miss Minnie take time now to put thought into how she is going to repay Miss Hilly. You cannot make a pie that has in it what she had in it and not be creative. To hide not only the odor, but the taste of what she added in that secret ingredient took creativity, y'all. It took ingenuity. But Miss Minnie did that thing. And you know, you remember the scene, she served up a slice of pie and Miss Hilly was talking smack to her, thinking she was trying to get her job back. Miss Miss Hilly mama coming and wanting some pie. And she said, oh no, 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 that's, that's Miss Hilly's pie. Miss Minnie was getting her some revenge. Miss Minnie was making a point, I'm going to get this revenge. And I use it as an illustration because we can all know what it looks like. 
The opposite of this was seen in the last week or two when a young man asked a judge for permission to get up and go hug a woman who has shot his brother to death. That spoke to the presence of God in his life. He said, who am I that I cannot extend grace and forgiveness to somebody because I've been a recipient of it? If you can't see nothing else, you can at least understand why God wants us to be unique. It's this picture of what it looks like to respond to the experiences of life in a way that shows God is reigning in my life. Jesus wants you and I to be salt and light. Matthew 5, 16, he said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. First Peter, speaking about Jesus, said he did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. The battle is the battle between the wheels because I want to do what I want to do, regardless of I knowing what God wants me to do. It is this tension that we have to wrestle with. What is that that is influencing who I am and how I function? Paul said in Romans 8, 5, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. It's clear from the help that many put her mind on the things of the flesh. Many was going to get her revenge, and all of us who watched the movie was actually right there cheering for, get her many. Get her, eat that pie. And we remember the scene of girls in prison, and they reading the book, and they laughing over it. What we forget in that moment is the heart and reputation of God. The heart and reputation of God is what's at stake when I'm talking about this. Remember the guy asked Jesus this question because he was trying to justify himself. And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? My initials happen to be DT. This is not a good time in America to have those initials, DT. <laughs> Forget all you mugs. Forget all you. So, so my friends be like, man, your boy, your boy, your boy. You know, I, he my boy now, right? He my boy. I'm not about to say anything critical about the man. I feel a whole lot of things, but keep my opinions to myself. But here's the problem for me. I know what thus says the Lord about people in authority. Regardless of the person and what I think of the person, the office that they're in and the position that God has allowed them to go to calls me to be a person of prayer on behalf, even if I think they are Barnum and Bailey. I am still called, will I honor God or will I do what I want to do? I believe so many times we can get caught up in the things. Listen, the reason Jesus gave the story to Good Samaritan is because like so many times in other places out there, not in black churches, but in other places, people get caught up in their own culture. Jesus said a Jewish man... Excuse me, a Jewish man. That ain't accidental, y'all. He talking to a Jewish man. So that's like me being in the church and saying a black man. Jesus said a Jewish man was going down the road, and a Jewish man was beat down. And two Jewish men came over there and looked at him and kept stepping. And a despised Samaritan. For a Jewish man, you couldn't get no lower. So whoever that is for any of us, we have to ask the question, what does that mean? when I'm struggling with somebody and is still in conflict with God's will and God is calling me to respond differently. Jesus connects our love for him with our obedience to him. I, I don't know about y'all, that's a scary thought to me. John chapter 14, three different times, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my command. If you love me, you will obey my word. This picture of love being shown as a response in actions. It is the reality of why he tells this story. A Jewish man traveling from Jer Jerusalem goes down. I'm not going to read the whole text. By chance, a priest comes along. By chance, a temple assistant. 
a despised Samaritan. He gets down to the end. He asks the man. After the man puts up money, takes time, goes out his way, inconveniences himself, Jesus asks the man, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor? Okay, you want to you know who's a neighbor? Who's the neighbor? Who's the neighbor to you? Who's the neighbor to you? The man couldn't do nothing but answer the man who gave mercy on the man. And Jesus said, bam, there you go. Jesus chose people that people don't like to teach them what it looks like to love your neighbor. Hey, 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 y'all, listen, that's, that's tough stuff. I told you, this is the hard things. There ain't nothing easy about that. I don't know who you're going to pick. I don't know who hits your list. For the folks in the room that's married, it might be your in-laws. For some of you folks that used to be married, it might be your ex. It really don't matter who it is. You can pick who it is that for you, you're like, oh, I know they ain't the neighbor. I ain't loving that joker. But it was the very reason Jesus went to such an extreme example because he picked a person that he knew the person wouldn't like. He picked a person that was different than him, that didn't think like him. He wanted to make a point because he was going to make sure the man understand. When God said, love your neighbor as yourself, he did not put all these qualifiers around it. It is what makes that young man hugging that girl in court such a powerful picture, even to an unbelieving world. They didn't understand what was driving him. We didn't lose our brother. I don't feel his pain. I still grieve for the family, but you know the truth? I grieve for the girl who's going to jail. I was sitting there having a discussion with a friend, and we were talking about the amount of time they got and feeling a sense of injustice, and I was still saying, yeah, but they're going to jail. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get any satisfaction to see somebody go through hardship. And I think we have to wrestle with, at times, the reality, because I want justice just like you. The truth is, the reason I like James Brown's song so much is because I want to be the distributor of the justice. The problem is, when I'm that vehicle, I confuse people to who or what is really Lord in my life. It's hard for me to be the conduit of revenge and then turn around and say, Jesus is Lord. To sing about the blood that covers sin and removes it. It's a difficult thing to be in that place. And listen, don't get me wrong. If it's convicting you, guess what? I had to put these shoes on first. This is a hard thing, which is why I brought that up in the very beginning. God expects us to do this because God wants to be seen through our life, which leads to the last thing I want to share with you. You need to recognize the power of doing God's will. The power of doing God's will. The power of doing God's will is reflected when people see you and they see you as peculiar or strange. They think you're weird. And I know nobody in the room wants to be weird. But sometimes when you follow God, for people look, looking at your life, you're weird. When I was in corporate America, we went on a business trip. I'm going to sanitize this for the ladies in the room. And so in my naivety, I, I asked the guys when we checked in a hotel, we in a particular town, I said, hey, man, let's go next door. I want to go to this hot dog joint. And everybody laughed at me. And I was like, what's the joke? And they was like, you don't know. I said, no. They said, that ain't no hot dog joint. That's a gentleman's club. And I was like, oh. I didn't know, for real, legitimately, didn't know. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to find a backdoor reason to get in the gentleman's club. I didn't know. And so... I didn't go over there with them, but they said, man, you're welcome to come. I didn't go, mm, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. Now, one of the guys began to engage me, and he said, man, what's wrong with you? You don't want to go over there? I said, oh, it's not that I don't want to go over there. All of my flesh is still alive. <laughs> but the problem for me is if I go over there and watch somebody's daughter wiggle like that, that's going to be in my head all night. <laughs> and it ain't my wife. And I, listen, only the ladies clapping to that. The fellas like, well, speak for yourself. At the end of the day, though, at the end of the day, I acknowledge to the guy, man, I'm just as much man as you. Everything God gave me is still working. But if I go over there, man, I, I don't need no help lusting. I had an old nature that lust all by itself. I don't need to go over there. Now, they thought I was weird as all get out. I got cracked on, talked about. You know what? I was cool with that. I wasn't going, and I never went. But here's the deal. 
I never told them that it wasn't because I didn't want to go. Our brothers got quiet like, woo. And my wife is sitting over there. My old nature is still present. But listen, as weird as they thought I was, when they got into accidents, when they went to the hospital, who do you think they called to come to the hospital to pray? It was that weird mug that they didn't understand. They was like, man, we don't understand that dude. But man, would you come pray for me? I had a guy finna have operation on his head. And he called his secretary up to ask me to come pray for him at the hospital at night before they did this surgery. Now, same folks that wouldn't room with me when we travel. Here's my point, y'all. Sometimes when we do God's will, we look weird to people on the outside. But in looking weird to people on the outside, it also gives us an opportunity to talk about why we live differently. Why we don't do things that in our flesh we would like to do. And, and if we are comfortable enough in our humanity and our salvation, we can talk to people about the reality that I still have an old nature, I got a new nature, but I'm no longer a slave to the old nature. So I don't have to yield to the urges of the old nature because I have a new nature, but the old nature is still present. So I'm still real with myself when I'm out with the fellas. Because in reality is if you don't, then you can be quickly deceived. Paul addressed it this way in a letter to the church in Galatians as I get ready to bring this to a close. Paul said in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, so I say, speaking to believers, this only applies to people who have trusted in Christ for the partner that's in. So if that's not you, this don't apply to you. I'm going to talk to you in a minute. But to people who are in Christ Jesus, he says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. He then goes on to enumerate what the acts of the sinful nature are, starting with the issue of sexual immorality. I'm not even going into the list. But in verse 22, he says this, which is powerful. He said, the fruit of the spirit, the evidence of God's presence is this. And then he starts with love, and he names off nine things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Self-control tells me I don't have to be just a slave and do what I used to do or what I want to do. Self-control lets me know the presence of God gives me the capacity to respond to things and still be in the spirit. Whether it's a parking spot or whether it's an invitation for fellowship from somebody else that's not your wife. Whatever it is, God calls us to be different. Paul said it this way so you can understand the ability to do this comes from outside of you. In Philippians chapter 2, he said, for God is working in you. It is God working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's not coming from me. This isn't a reflection of my walk because I'm spiritually or anything. This is a result of the spirit of the living God that takes up residence in us when we put our trust in him. It was God who told us to be imitators of God. He used Paul to write it in Ephesians, but he said, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So you want to understand why the battle of the wheels is such a big issue? The battle of the wheels is such a big issue because there are people watching your life, and if they cannot see the reality of the lordship of Jesus, we are misrepresenting the one we call Lord. Now, hear me, beloved. I'm not saying we live a perfect life. I don't. My wife would quickly come up and tell you all the boo-boos I make. She always tell me, you need to say that differently. I'm not going to get in trouble, so I'm going to stop right there. But at the end of the day, I'm still a work in progress. But I cannot justify being in overt rebellion against the revealed will of God. That's why I called this the battle of the wills. Because this man in this text, he wanted to justify himself because he was not going to treat some people like his neighbor. I, I said it earlier, I'll say it again, I don't know who that is for you. But I can tell you this, God is interested in taking your life and using it as a fragrance to draw people to him. 
That's how I got in the kingdom of God. Somebody else both spoke to me and I watched them. God wants people to be able to watch us because we're not battling with the will. Stand to your feet as I bring this to a close. Jesus made a powerful statement about this in John 13. He said, by this, talking about how we interact with love, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The will of God is so clear in Scripture. It's crystal clear. God makes declaration all throughout the world about how he feels about us. We see this first in John chapter 3 when Jesus is speaking to a religious man and he begins to reveal to him such a profound picture. Early on in chapter 3, he said, you must be born again. And this is a man who's a religious leader and he was confused by the statement. What do you mean, be born again? Can a man go back into his mother's womb? Jesus wasn't talking about being born again physically. He was talking about being born in the spirit. You see, everybody in this room has been born once, but not everybody in this room has necessarily been born twice. To become a part of the family of God, you have to be born twice. John chapter 1 verse 12 says it this, this way. To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It is this experience of being adopted by God Almighty that comes through faith in his son's finished work on the cross. It's what Jesus would further explain in chapter 3 when he was talking to this religious man. And he told the man as he got to verse 16, the verse that most of us in this room know. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, what? But have everlasting life but what's important is the next verse because he adds further clarity he said for God did not send his son into the world for what to condemn the world God is not interested in condemning people he said but that the world through him might be saved Jesus came for redemptive reasons not for condemnation and if you don't believe that then you go back and you look in Peter Peter said it a different way and he put in, I'm going to shorten the verse. He said, it's not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Beloved, I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are in processing the truth of God's love for you. But I can tell you this. Jesus came so you can be in right relationship with him. He came so you can become a part of the family of God and have everything that you have done when you were battling with your will versus God's will pardoned. We stood here earlier and we took communion and it is simply a physical representation of a reminder of what God did for us. The blood really is strong enough. But nobody can do this for you. I tell my kids when they was young, God don't have grandchildren. I have grandchildren, I want a lot more. But God don't have grandchildren. He only has children. You got to come for yourself. Beloved, I want to invite you today, if you don't know Jesus in the pardon of your sins, or you're not sure that you are in right relationship with God, I want you to understand that is why God the Father sent God the Son, so you can be in a right, loving relationship with God Almighty. I want to invite you today to come on up. There's some folks standing here that would love to show you how to become a part of the family of God. And we can do that simply if you come. So if that's you today, I want to invite you to come on down while they sing the song of invitation. Come on down.
also like to extend an invitation right now to become a part of this local church fellowship. You might be here today visiting us and thinking this is the place you need to become a part of to continue your growth in your own spiritual journey. I would like to extend an invitation to you on behalf of our pastor and ministerial staff to come on forward so we can begin this journey together. As pastor says all the time, we're not a perfect fellowship. We're a group of people that are in progress working to become more like Jesus, that we would be a conduit by which God can bring people to himself. If that's you today, we would love for you to come on down if you want to become a part of this local church fellowship. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Right now is the right time. Come to Jesus. He is waiting Pastor Dana Thomas, thank you so much for that word. Amen. <laughs> Pastor Thomas, we, we, we sincerely thank God not only for your message, but your ministry. And we were so blessed by your word and so encouraged. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Well, good hope is time for the offering. Yeah. Amen. 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 Before we start our offering, I think it's important for us to remember that uh, earlier today I mentioned, you know, our Hope for Families food pantry. I mentioned Awana. I mentioned uh, our Hope for Families youth empowerment. All of this is made possible by your giving. Amen. Amen. And so when you give, you partner with us or you co-partner with us. And more importantly, you co-partner with the Lord and taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dying world. Amen? Amen. Amen. So your money is not going in vain. It is literally going to save lives, touch lives all over this world. And so as we begin to give, we ask that you would give. Remember, you can give also on the Good Hope app. And so if you have the app, you can pull up and give electronically as well. Amen? Amen. Deacons, we are in your hands. How good and pleasant it is. How good and pleasant it is when we come together in unity. And praise the Lord.
Father, we thank you for the gifts that have been given today, God. We thank you for you moving on the hearts and the minds of the people, Father, to co-labor and to co-partner with you in the kingdom building work. And we ask that you would bless our offerings. All these things we ask you for now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Master Control, we are in your hands. On October 31st, we will be celebrating Hallowed Be Thy Name. This church-wide bridging event provides a fun and safe environment for children to enjoy as an alternative to the secular holiday of Halloween. The event will be from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Forge for Families, located at 3435 Dixie Drive. The property will be transformed for a carnival atmosphere. A mandatory volunteer orientation is scheduled for Sunday, October 27th, 12 p.m. in The View. And you can sign up via the I Am Hope mobile app or the goodhope.org website. The Financial Management and Young Adult Ministry present Secure the Bag. Would having 100 or 500 extra dollars per month make a big difference in your life? Do you want to save money but aren't sure where to start? If the answer is a resounding yes, come secure the bag and learn the goal-setting principles of debt management, credit awareness, and savings in our three Saturday classes on October 26th through November 9th. Register today at goodhope.org or via the I Am Hope mobile app. Theater Under the Sun presents the stage play The Question Is, Saturday, October 12th at 5 p.m. Doors open at 4 p.m. For more information, go to goodhope.org forward slash the question or call 713-524-6578. We hope to see you there. Don't forget, for additional events and announcements, download our new interactive I Am Hope mobile app. CDs of all sermons are located in the Center for Hope bookstore for a donation of $5. That about does it for this week's Good News Weekly announcements. Have a blessed and prosperous week, and remember, good hope, loving God, loving all people, and changing the world. Amen, amen. Master Control, will you play our video for the Hope for Families Food Pantry as well? We were speaking uh, with you all about that earlier, and so we have a brief video that we'd love for you all to watch. Master Control. Good Hope. The Hope of Families, in partnership with the Houston Food Bank, has now opened our weekly food pantry. The mission of our food pantry is to show the love of God by serving families in need with emergency food assistance on a weekly basis for better lives. The food pantry provides opportunities for our church to make contact and connect with our community, sharing and showing the love of God through serving others. This is also in fulfillment of our mission and visions for our church. The food pantry will operate each Wednesday from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. However, anyone who walks up needing hope during the week will be served. Volunteers, they make it happen. Please come and join our team. Setup is each Tuesday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. So the Hope and Family Food Pantry is up and running. God bless you. Bye-bye. Amen. 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 Church, we have a few brief reminders uh, for this week. Remember, we have midweek Bible studies on Wednesdays. Uh, the first Bible study is 12 p.m. noon, and the second Bible study is 7 o'clock p.m. here in the sanctuary. Uh, also, uh, the announcement spoke to this already, but we want to remind you that uh, the theater production, the question is, will be this Saturday. Uh, it'll be October the 12th at 5 o'clock p.m. Here in the sanctuary, you can purchase tickets in the Center of Hope uh, at the book stand. Uh, also, we would ask that you remember our sick and shut-in members and also our bereaved families. Now, do we have any first, second, or third-time visitors here with us today? Please stand. And as they stand, let's give them a hand clap of applause, and let's just show them how much we appreciate them being here. Well, we want to thank you all so much on behalf of the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church and our senior pastor, Dr. D.Z. Cofield. We welcome you uh, to Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. We pray that a, a handshake, a hug, a smile, a greeting, some warm welcome was extended to you. If not, please come back next week, and we promise you we will do better next time. So let's thank our visitors for coming here on today and worshiping with us. Thank you. Now, you all see 
uh, the handsome gentlemen or the lovely uh, ladies here, you can follow them out. We have a warm welcome and uh, a gift of our appreciation that we'd like to give you. Let's give them, let's continue to just congratulate them and encourage them for coming. Thank you all so much for visiting here with us on today. Well, if that's it, let's stand and be dismissed from this place. I believe all hearts and minds are clear. Join hands with somebody. Reach out, touch somebody. Amen. Amen. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God, we thank you now just for this day. God, we thank you for the preached word that the battle of the wills can be won when we depend on you. God, we ask for your protection and your presence and your love as we go throughout our week. Help us to be an accurate reflection of who you are in our lives. God, we thank you and we love you so much. All of these things we ask you for now. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You all have a great week. God bless and take care.